Section 21 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. Book 3, Chapter 2. In treating of the early governors of the province, I must caution my readers against confounding them, in point of dignity and power, with those worthy gentlemen who are whimsically denominated governors in this enlightened republic, a set of unhappy victims of popularity, who are in fact the most dependent hen-pecked beings in the community, doomed to bear the secret goadings and corrections of their own party, and the sneers and revilings of the whole world beside, set up like geese at christmas holidays to be pelted and shot at by every whipster and vagabond in the land on the contrary the dutch governors enjoyed that uncontrolled authority vested in all commanders of distant colonies or territories they were in a manner absolute despots in their little domains lording it if so disposed over both law and gospel and accountable to none but the mother country which it is well known is astonishingly deaf to all complaints against its governors, provided they discharge the main duty of their station, squeezing out a good revenue. This hint will be of importance to prevent my readers from being seized with doubt and incredulity, whenever in the course of this authentic history they encounter the uncommon circumstance of a governor acting with independence, and in opposition to the opinions of the multitude to assist the doubtful wouter in the arduous business of legislation a board of magistrates was appointed which presided immediately over the police this potent body consisted of a shoat or bailiff with powers between those of the present mayor and sheriff five burgermeesters who were equivalent to aldermen and five shippens who officiated as scrubs sub-devils or bottle-holders to the burgermeesters in the same manner as do assistant aldermen to their principals at the present day it being their duty to fill the pipes of the lordly burgermeesters hunt the markets for delicacies for corporation dinners and to discharge such other little offices of kindness as were occasionally required it was moreover tacitly understood though not specifically enjoined that they should consider themselves as butts for the blunt wits of the burgermeesters and should laugh most heartily at all their jokes. But this last was a duty as rarely called in action in those days as it is at present, and was shortly remitted in consequence of the tragical death of a fat little shippen who actually died of suffocation in an unsuccessful effort to force a laugh at one of Burgermeister Van Zant's best jokes. In return for these humble services, they were permitted to say yes and no at the council board, and to have that enviable privilege the run of the public kitchen, being graciously permitted to eat and drink and smoke at all those snug junketing and public gormandizings for which the ancient magistrates were equally famous with their modern successors. The post of Shippen, therefore, like that of assistant alderman, was eagerly coveted by all your burghers of a certain description, who have a huge relish for good feeding, and a humble ambition to be great men in a small way, who thirst after a little brief authority that shall render them the terror of the almshouse and the bridewell, 
that shall enable them to lord it over obsequious poverty, vagrant vice, outcast prostitution, and hunger-driven dishonesty, that shall give to their beck a hound-like pack of catchpoles and bum-bailiffs, tenfold greater rogues than the culprits they hunt down. My readers will excuse this sudden warmth, which I confess is unbecoming of a grave historian, but I have a mortal antipathy to catchpoles, bum-bailiffs, and little great men. The ancient magistrates of this city corresponded with those of the present time no less in form, magnitude, and intellect than in prerogative and privilege. The burgomasters, like our aldermen, were generally chosen by weight, and not only the weight of the body, but likewise the weight of the head. It is a maxim practically observed in all honest, plain-thinking, regular cities, that an alderman should be fat, and the wisdom of this can be proved to a certainty, that the body is in some measure an image of the mind, or rather that the mind is moulded to the body, like melted lead to the clay in which it is cast, has been insisted on by many philosophers, who have made human nature their peculiar study. For, as a learned gentleman of our own city observes, there is a constant relation between the moral character of all intelligent creatures and their physical constitution, between their habits and the structure of their bodies. Thus we see that a lean, spare, diminutive body is generally accompanied by a petulant, restless, meddling mind. Either the mind wears down the body by its continual motion, or else the body, not affording the mind sufficient house-room, keeps it continually in a state of fretfulness, tossing and worrying about from the uneasiness of its situation. Whereas your round, sleek, fat, unwieldy periphery is ever attended by a mind like itself, tranquil, torpid, and at ease, and we may always observe that your well-fed, robustious burghers are in general very tenacious of their ease and comfort, being great enemies to noise, discord, and disturbance, and surely none are more likely to study the public tranquillity than those who are so careful of their own. Whoever hears of fat men leading a riot, or herding together in turbulent mobs? No, no, it is your lean, hungry men who are continually worrying society and setting the whole community by the ears. The divine Plato, whose doctrines are not sufficiently attended to by philosophers of the present age, allows to every man three souls, one immortal and rational, seated in the brain, that may overlook and regulate the body, a second consisting of the surly and irascible passions, which, like belligerent powers, lie encamped around the heart, a third, mortal and sensual, destitute of reason, gross and brutal in its propensities, and enchained in the belly, that it may not disturb the divine soul by its ravenous howlings. Now, according to this excellent theory, what can be more clear than that your fat alderman is most likely to have the most regular and well-conditioned mind? His head is like a huge spherical chamber, containing a prodigious mass of soft brains, whereon the rational soul lies softly and snugly couched as on a feather-bed, and the eyes, which are the windows of the bedchamber, are usually half-closed, that its slumberings may not be disturbed by external objects. A mind thus comfortably lodged, and protected from disturbance, is manifestly most like to perform its functions with regularity and ease. By dint of good feeding, moreover, 
the mortal and malignant soul which is confined in the belly and which by its raging and roaring puts the irritable soul in the neighbourhood of the heart in an intolerable passion and thus renders men crusty and quarrelsome when hungry is completely pacified silenced and put to rest whereupon a host of honest good-fellow qualities and kind-hearted affections which had lain perdue slyly peeping out of the loopholes of the heart finding this cerberus asleep do pluck up their spirits turn out one and all in their holiday suits and gamble up and down the diaphragm disposing their possessor to laughter good humour and a thousand friendly offices towards his fellow mortals as a board of magistrates formed on this principle think but very little they are the less likely to differ and wrangle about favourite opinions and as they generally transact business upon a hearty dinner they are naturally disposed to be lenient and indulgent in the administration of their duties charlemagne was conscious of this and therefore ordered in his cartularies that no judge should hold a court of justice except in the morning on an empty stomach a pitiful rule which i can never forgive and which i warrant bore hard upon all the poor culprits in the kingdom the more enlightened and humane generation of the present day have taken an opposite course and have so managed that the aldermen are the best fed men in the community feasting lustily on the fat things of the land and gorging so heartily on oysters and turtles that in process of time they acquire the activity of one and the form the waddle and the green fat of the other the consequence is as i have just said these luxurious feastings do produce such a dulcet equanimity and repose of the soul rational and irrational that their transactions are proverbial for unvarying monotony and the profound laws which they enact in their dozing moments amid the labours of digestion are quietly suffered to remain as dead letters and never enforced when awake in a word your fair round-bellied burgomaster like a full-fed mastiff dozes quietly at the house door always at home and always at hand to watch over its safety but as to electing a lean meddling candidate to the office as has now and then been done i would as lief put a greyhound to watch the house or a racehorse to draw an ox-wagon the burgomasters then as i have already mentioned were wisely chosen by weight and the shepins or assistant aldermen were appointed to attend upon them and help them eat but the latter in the course of time when they had been fed and fattened into sufficient bulk of body and drowsiness of brain became very eligible candidates for the burgomaster's chairs having fairly eaten themselves into office as a mouse eats his way into a comfortable lodgment in a goodly blue-nosed skimmed milk new england cheese nothing could equal the profound deliberations that took place between the renowned wouter and these his worthy compeers unless it be the sage divans of some of our modern corporations they would sit for hours smoking and dozing over public affairs without speaking a word to interrupt that perfect stillness so necessary to deep reflection under the sober sway of wouter van twiller and these his worthy coadjutors the infant settlement waxed vigorous apace gradually emerging from the swamps and forests and exhibiting that mingled appearance of town and country customary in new cities and which at this day may be witnessed in the city of washington that immense metropolis which makes so glorious an appearance on paper it was a pleasing sight in those times to behold the honest burgher like a patriarch of yore 
seated on the bench at the door of his whitewashed house under the shade of some gigantic sycamore or overhanging willow here would he smoke his pipe of a sultry afternoon enjoying the soft southern breeze and listening with silent gratulation to the clucking of his hens the cackling of his geese and the sonorous grunting of his swine that combination of farmyard melody which may truly be said to have a silver sound inasmuch as it conveys a certain assurance of profitable marketing the modern spectator who wanders through the streets of this populous city can scarcely form an idea of the different appearance they presented in the primitive days of the doubter the busy hum of multitudes the shouts of revelry the rumbling equipages of fashion the rattling of accursed carts and all the spirit-grieving sounds of brawling commerce were unknown in the settlement of new amsterdam the grass grew quietly in the highways the bleating sheep and frolicsome calves sported about the verdant ridge where now the broadway loungers take their morning stroll the cunning fox or ravenous wolf skulked in the woods where now are to be seen the dens of gomez and his righteous fraternity of money-brokers and flocks of vociferous geese cackled about the fields where now the great tammany wigwam and the patriotic tavern of martling echo with the wranglings of the mob in these good times did a true and enviable equality of rank and property prevail equally removed from the arrogance of wealth and the servility and heart-burnings of repining poverty and what in my mind is still more conducive to tranquillity and harmony among friends a happy equality of intellect was likewise to be seen the minds of the good burghers of new amsterdam seemed all to have been cast in one mould and to be those honest blunt minds which like certain manufactures are made by the gross and considered as exceedingly good for common use thus it happens that your true dull minds are generally preferred for public employ and especially promoted to city honors your keen intellects like razors being considered too sharp for common service i know that it is common to rail at the unequal distribution of riches as the great source of jealousies broils and heart-breakings whereas for my part i verily believe it is the sad inequality of intellect that prevails that embroils communities more than anything else and i have remarked that your knowing people who are so much wiser than anybody else are eternally keeping society in a ferment happily for new amsterdam nothing of the kind was known within its walls the very words of learning education taste and talents were unheard of a bright genius was an animal unknown and a blue-stocking lady would have been regarded with as much wonder as a horned frog or a fiery dragon no man in fact seemed to know more than his neighbor nor any man to know more than an honest man ought to know who has nobody's business to mind but his own the parson and the council clerk were the only men that could read in the community and the sage van twiller always signed his name with a cross thrice happy and ever to be envied little burg existing in all the security of harmless insignificance unnoticed and unenvied by the world without ambition without vainglory without riches without learning and all their train of carking cares and as of yore in the better days of man the deities were wont to visit him on earth and bless his rural habitations so we are told in the sylvan days of new amsterdam the good saint nicholas would often make his appearance in his beloved city of a holiday afternoon riding jollily among the tree-tops or over the roofs of houses 
now and then drawing forth magnificent presents from his breeches pockets and dropping them down the chimneys of his favorites whereas in these degenerate days of iron and brass he never shows us the light of his countenance nor ever visits us save one night in the year when he rattles down the chimneys of the descendants of the patriarchs confining his presence merely to the children in token of the degeneracy of their parents such are the comfortable and thriving effects of a fat government the province of the new netherlands destitute of wealth possessed a sweet tranquillity that wealth could never purchase there were neither public commotions nor private quarrels neither parties nor sects nor schisms neither persecutions nor trials nor punishments nor were there counsellors attorneys catchpoles or hangmen every man attended to what little business he was lucky enough to have or neglected it if he pleased without asking the opinion of his neighbour in those days nobody meddled with concerns above his comprehension nor thrust his nose into other people's affairs nor neglected to correct his own conduct and reform his own character in his zeal to pull to pieces the characters of others but in a word every respectable citizen ate when he was not hungry drank when he was not thirsty and went regularly to bed when the sun set and the fowls went to roost whether he was sleepy or not all which tended so remarkably to the population of the settlement that i am told every dutiful wife throughout new amsterdam made a point of enriching her husband with at least one child a year and very often a brace this superabundance of good things clearly constituting the true luxury of life according to the favorite dutch maxim that more than enough constitutes a feast everything therefore went on exactly as it should do and in the usual words employed by historians to express the welfare of a country the profoundest tranquillity and repose reigned throughout the province end of section twenty one